Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, this is Uriah Young with Christopher Klein on the Sixer Sense Podcast, and we're here to talk Sixers, all Sixers, and nothing but the Sixers. Coming off a, an interesting game, nationally televised, a loss to the Golden State Warriors. I thought it was a weird game. Chris didn't necessarily think it was quote-unquote weird, but anyway, what's going on, Chris? Not much, not much. How was your weekend? Weekend was good. Weekend was good. Got some some yard work done, some nice weather. What about you? Yeah, I, I had a good weekend too. Um, watched a few movies, pretty much the same old, same old, did some schoolwork, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, Chris is working on uh, some short stories going on, some uh, science fiction, some type of fiction. The dude can just write, period. It's not just a sports writer. Dude, very versatile. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're not the best short stories yet, but we're, we're getting there. But you, you mentioned the the weird game we just watched. <laughs> we're, we're recording this right after the Golden State game. The Warriors took that one pretty handedly in the fourth quarter. The final score was 107 to 96. I mean, the big obvious standout was Steph Curry who put up 49 points for Golden State I mean that was pretty much the story of the game but Philly had some pretty notable performances as well 28 13 eight assists from Joel Um, another pretty solid Danny Green night Seth Curry had some big moments in the first half George Hill made his debut we saw some real Tyrese Maxey minutes and some pretty good Tyrese Maxey minutes so Uriah what were some of your big takeaways my takeaway was that it was a very good night for Under Armour, uh, but it was a better night for Steph Curry. That guy is worth every penny going to see. And here's the irony, Chris. Last season, I, I bought tickets to the Golden State game in Philly, and I, I took uh, my buddy to the game, and he's a big Golden State fan. And guess who didn't suit up that night? Obviously, because he was hurt, Steph Curry. But you know what? He didn't disappoint. He was the amazing player that he's been since uh, he started, you know, becoming an all-star and just legitimate three-point threat offensive juggernaut. Uh, you know, with this game, and you said it earlier off here, you, you can't take much away from it for the Sixers standpoint simply because you're missing Ben Simmons, who was out because of illness, and Tobias Harris. I think this game we saw the value of Harris being that secondary scorer Fourth quarter crunch time, if Embiid is not hot, you give it to Toby, and he was not available. You know, speaking of Embiid, he did have a solid game. I'd say the first three quarters, he was unstoppable. But then, Chris, at the end, I think he got a little cute. I think with under three minutes to go, you you saw him coming out of a timeout, and he walked past Curry before the ball was inbound, and they kind of smiled at each other. And I'm thinking, like, maybe this is an Under Armour thing. But 
And then Embiid proceeds to shoot some, you know, off-balance three-pointer. He's trying to dribble between his legs. I'm thinking, you're not Steph Curry, man. Just be who you are. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was my man Matisse Thybul. That dude was getting a lot of love from Doris Burke, and rightfully so. Defensively, he was all over the place, disrupting the offense of Golden State. Had some nice steals, some nice deflections, but did you see that? You saw that dunk, right? That little mini two-handed windmill? That was pretty nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very nice. I'd never seen him do anything like that in a game, so I'm sure I'm not the only person who was – thrilled that he he took that that nice uh dunk but like you said green had a nice game hill looked rusty at first and i expected that but then he made some nice veteran moves on the defense and and offense what'd you take away from the game yeah i mean i i think i had most of the same takeaways that you did the the close was a bit rough as you mentioned that joel was not very good at all down, down the stretch great for most of the game but had some big turnovers late some questionable shot attempts, as you mentioned. Um, part of that's just missing Tobias, I think. I think Harris helped quite a bit with this team down the stretch of games. That said, the Sixers' closing offense has been a problem for a while. I'm not sure if I'm you know, as confident in them to close games as I am in, in other high-level contenders. So I do think that's something to watch out in the future and once the playoffs get here. But um, Curry had a really big first half and then kind of fell apart in the second half. Didn't do much. Uh, you know, the first five, six minutes of the game were really fun because he was cooking Steph. <laughs> and then that pretty much got flipped on its head yeah. to the game. So the, the, the Curry battle was not as close as we might have hoped it would be. But um, Furkan was one of only two players, I believe, with a positive plus minus. Only 10 points on 11 shots. Not his best night, but he's been playing some pretty good basketball lately. Um, got 25 minutes, was put in the starting lineup with the injuries. I expect him to still be a pretty big part of the rotation, just based on his recent play, even with Hill in. I know they're going to have to cut someone. I'm hoping it's Mike Scott. We saw a lot of four-guard <laughs> lineups tonight. Um, Doc said after the game that we're going to see a lot more of these four-guard lineups. I sure hope so. I'm, I'm hoping that means... Mike is going to be the odd man out. Um, you know, no slight to Scott, who's a wonderful person and easy to cheer for. But and and I love the afro, the new look, mm. great. But he's out there looking like David Diggs, man. <laughs> I was like, man, you're really trying to get your David Diggs on. But anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I mean that said, he should not be playing minute. It's for a contender. Hey, how about Tobias Harris on the bench? With uh, his uh, ESPN nationally televised chic button-down shirt, that shirt. Did you see that shirt? That was a nice shirt. That's like yeah. a, he yeah. probably dropped a grand on that shirt. That's his gold fi- goldfish money right there in all the commercials. <laughs> yeah, I mean Tobias is normally a pretty pretty stylish dude. I mean he he's he's normally got his his looks pretty well planned out. I don't know. I I I've always liked Tobias. He came across in that that um, that commercial with Boban. That was a fun. All the commercials are fun. He's he has a little charisma. He's authentic, good-looking dude. I'm thinking, man, why doesn't he get any more spots for like I don't know? Why does he do a Tesla commercial or I don't know? Let's get back to the game. So Maxi Chris looked good. 
I think this is his best game, and correct me if I'm wrong, since the Denver game. He was aggressive. He was decisive. His floater was hitting. He didn't necessarily hit a lot of jumpers, but he gave the Sixers a spark that they needed to get back in the game. Matter of fact, I think it was a bucket in the fourth quarter that drew them closer, or I think they might have taken the league. But, yeah, Maxi definitely stepped up, and he gave Doc some good minutes. Yeah, I mean, I think the Maxi experience has been pretty up and down this year. But, I, again, like, the fact that Mike Scott has been playing for as long as he has this season is, is ridiculous. Of course, I would, like, have much preferred, like, more Maxi experiments than Mike Scott. You know, Isaiah Joe has been riding the bench ever since uh, that COVID outbreak. He really gave the Sixers some solid minutes earlier in the season and looked like a real rotation piece. And Doc has just completely ignored him of late. I would prefer to see that change. But, I mean, with George Hill back, it's going to be tough. Once Tobias and Ben are back, Maxie is probably probably going to drop back out of the rotation. We'll see what happens. But he's really good tonight. And he, he still has a lot of skills that help this team quite a bit. He's going to be an important bench piece moving forward. I think as soon as next season, he's probably going to be a regular part of the rotation. Hopefully he works on that jumper this summer builds more confidence in it but his speed his ability to collapse the defense he's making better reads as a passer already that floater game has been great from the jump it was one of his best attributes at Kentucky like like he's going to be a good NBA player so I'm, I'm excited to see to see his progression you know we have a new sponsor now Chris right I do Now, our new sponsor is none other than Mindful Health LLC featuring Danette May's top superfood product from her Earth Echo Foods line, Cacao Bliss. Now, nothing feels better than being able to enjoy a rich, smooth, and creamy chocolate and knowing that you're doing something good for your body. What they do is they start with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, and guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. For the last eight years, they've been a leader in the superfoods market, and they're proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. They're offering up to 15% off when you use the code MINUTE15. Again, that's MINUTE15. You can find their website at earthechofoods.com backslash minute media. And now back to the podcast. So we're going to, we're going to move on now and talk about the Clippers game. That one was a win for Philadelphia 106 to 103 Uriah. One of Joel Embiid's best games of the season, especially since his return, 36 points on 20 shots. He went to the free throw line 18 times, hit 16 of them. At 14 rebounds, I mean, there's really not much more you can say. You know, 18 from Furkan, a pretty decent bend game on both ends of the floor. What were some of your big takeaways from that win? The first thing I have to say, I'm I'm glad I didn't get blasted for my grades. I wrote the recap for that. I guess because I I gave a I didn't give Ben anything below a B minus, <laughs> which he didn't earn. I, he he had a good game, like you said. I I think Embiid, like you said, he had one of his best games of the year. Nobody could stop him. Zubak couldn't stop him. Morris couldn't stop him. Nobody could stop him. 
The one thing that stood out was the fact that Kawhi was out and you had a chance to see Paul George get to his, his old form, like when he was in his Indiana days. The guy, when he is on, he's on. He's unstoppable. Playoff P, quote unquote. Tobias, again, he was out. So the Sixers really relied heavily on Joel. But Furkan, he had a, a nice game. He was stepping up. He was hitting big shots, aggressive. And I think each game that he plays, he just gains more and more confidence. And they're going to need that from him going into the playoffs. So so kudos to Furkan. There's one guy, Chris, that I had to break out my phone in the middle of that game and, and Google this guy. I was like, who the heck is Patrick Patterson? <laughs> I just thought he was like a football player, like a safety for the Denver Broncos or something. But that dude just, he thought he was Steph Curry that night. And he had quite a few threes and was really keeping them in the game. And the last thing I'll say before uh, you to give your takeaways is Shake Milton, man, in comparable tonight to tonight's game, he did not have a good game. And then he hit a three-pointer in the fourth that helped us secure that win against the Clippers. Tonight, he hit a big three against Golden State, but different outcome. So hopefully Shake gets it together because we're going to need him in the playoffs. Yeah, the, the Shake experience has been a bit rough this season. I think a lot of us had really high expectations going in. He gave us about a month of like, sick man of the year play and yeah just kind yeah. of bottomed off after that he he has a, a good game every now and then but it's been a pretty bumpy ride like you said hopefully he he rectifies that um we've talked about the mvp race i, I my pick right now is still Jokic, but that that should not diminish what joel has done this season He's been remarkable <laughs> as i said this is one of his best games it's just really fun to watch what he's been doing you mentioned Paul George. I had an article where I just ranked the top 50 guys in the NBA. I think I had Paul George at like 15. Like, he's really good. Mm. He's much better than I think his reputation would suggest. Like, he's on that, like, second tier of NBA starter. Right. He's a great defender. One of the best shooters on the planet. Has done so much to improve his, you know, ancillary skills since even the Indiana days. He was top three in MVP voting a couple of years ago with OKC. Like he's just a really good player, and I don't think he gets enough credit. He's been just off the charts this past week or so. So it, it's nice to see him get the credit he deserves. This game was a very a very Sixers game in the sense that they got out to a really quick start and sort of collapsed and let LA back into it, and then barely pulled out a win at the last second. And, and you know they had a random guy going off for twenty points and Patrick Patterson. <laughs> It's about it. About he's not a random guy. Get. He he's a he's a free safety for the Denver Broncos. Get that yeah. Get that straight. <laughs> Two minutes and forty three seconds of playing time for my guy Paul Reed. B ball Paul turning it over at half court. Yeah. Turn it over half court. One turnover, <laughs> two rebounds in two minutes. That was an ugly stuff. turnover, Chris. That was an <laughs> ugly turnover. I was like, man, is this an AAU game? This... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's a work in progress, but. Yeah. I, I mean, it's anyone against the Clippers is is a good win, even without Kawhi. That's that's a really good team. That's yeah. a team. If the Sixers do make it to the finals, there's a pretty decent chance they're going to be playing the Clippers. So mm, that'd be a crazy it's, matchup. It's a, a good team to to get a win against. Well, speaking of playoffs, and you know, a lot of people are getting on the bandwagon of the Sixers. When it comes to the playoffs, Doc has some really important decisions to make. 
he's trying to figure out, all right, you know, who's going to get quality minutes once the playoffs begin. And let's talk right now, Chris, about some different rotation possibilities, because yes, the starting five is, is solid, but we're just going to put it out there in the idea that it could be better if, and I know Seth Curry had a really great first half and it was fun to watch him go against his brother, but I'm going to put it out there, Chris. Would it benefit the Sixers to have Seth Curry come off the bench and try a new starting lineup? What's your opinion on that? I mean, generally speaking, I think you should, you know, go with what got you there. You know, the mm-hmm. Sixers are first place. They've been one of the best defensive teams all season. Their offense isn't bad. Um, Curry helps a lot with Joel and Ben just because he demands so much attention on the three-point line. If you put someone else in there, that that's going to be – that, that goes away a little bit. I don't think Curry's been bad. I don't think he's done anything to lose his spot. You know, playoff matchups are pretty much handled on a game-by-game and a series-by-series basis. So if Seth has a rough series or it's a particularly bad matchup and, you know, you want to go with Shake or George Hill, then, then sure, we can talk about it then. But until there's, like, a real glaring issue with Curry, and I, I want him to shoot more just like everyone else. I'm not saying he's been perfect, but... He has overall had a really solid season. So, I, I mean, I think for now, you, you just got to stick with what got you there. I will respectfully disagree. I think if there's a time to make a change, it would be now. And I, I feel like as much as I like Curry, Seth Curry, that is, he's not his brother. And not that I expect him to be his brother, but he's too hesitant. There are a lot of times where he has the ball and if he just got it and shot it right away, he would probably make more than he misses in that situation. He's just not consistent enough for me. And it, it just caused, for me, it brings into the, the idea of why did Dallas get rid of him in the first place? If he's such a lights-out shooter, why did they, of all people, give him up for Josh Richardson, who's having a, a horrible season in Dallas right now? Let's say if Curry was a defensive threat, like if he really was a lockdown defender or like an above average defender, I would say keep him in. Like you said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I feel like he's just not consistent enough for me. That's just my opinion. Now, if let's just, you know, argument's sake, if we were to replace Curry in the starting lineup, I'll give you three options, Chris. If you'd replace him, who do you think would take his spot? Corkmaz, Milton, or Thibault? Well, I mean, I I think the the obvious choice would be George Hill if we like had to. Make oh, okay, all right, so all right. I, I, I mean, I'd go option D. Um, <laughs> okay, all right. I mean, like you mentioned, defense. Clark Miles and Milton are worse defenders than Seth. Right. Bible is a tough thing to work offensively next to Ben and Joel. It, it can work. We're gonna see a lot of like closing minutes for Thibel, I'm sure in the playoffs because of what he brings defensively. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't want two guys who the defense can ignore, especially with, you know, how good Joel has been in open space this season. Just do everything you can to keep, keep the floor space for him. Matisse doesn't do that. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to replace him, I think Hill's the option. Hill is a, a really strong perimeter defender. He had his moments defensive even against Steph in, in the Golden State game. You know, first game right. back, been off a while. He had his, had, had his moments um, on the defensive end. And he's a good shooter as well, can maybe liven up the, the playmaking in the half court, though I do think that's going to be pretty beneficial with the second unit 
especially if Doc sticks with those all-bench groups. He probably won't in the playoffs, but if you're going to have like Tobias instead of Ben leading the second units, I think George Hill works quite a bit in that sense. So, I, again, I would stick with Seth in the starting five, but if I if I had to make a change, I think Hill would be my pick. All right. I, I like that Hill argument. I'll, I'll give you a point on there, but let me read some stats that just came out today. Defenders who allow the lowest shooting percentage in the NBA. Guess who's number one? Matisse Thibel, 38%. Thibel is also number one in defensive plus minus, number one in steal percentage, number one in deflections, third in defensive rating, ninth in total steals, and he's 186th in minutes per game. Talk about elite stats. So I, I know he, he's not as good of a shooter as Hill or Curry, but just imagine a starting lineup that could potentially hold a team under 20 points just because you have Thibel, you have Simmons, and you have Embiid in the center. So, and, and, and you know what? I guess to support my argument, you still have Danny Green and Tobias Harris. Danny Green leads the league in corner three-pointers made, and Tobias has improved his three-point shooting. So I don't think Thibel being inserted into the starting lineup would be, be that much of an um, impediment to their offensive flow because he has been shooting better since the All-Star game. So I, I'm sticking with, with my man Matisse. I, if I was Doc, I would I would make that change. Yeah, I mean, Matisse is... Lucas has said it many times that he thinks he deserves an all-defense nod. I think that case has been getting progressively stronger here. Um, I mean, granted, it was 38% before he played Steph Curry tonight. That number might go up <laughs> a few tenths of a percentage point um, after tonight. Steph but, will do that to you. Steph will do that to anybody. Yeah, but, I mean, again, like, especially in the postseason where teams really hone in on specific matchups, if you have Simmons and Thibel out there together – for long stretches, they aren't going to pay attention to really either of them if they aren't, you know, it, it's just a tough thing to work out with both of those guys. With Ben, I think you can handle it. Like, you can have Ben do different actions off the ball, but with, with Matisse, I think you're just clogging things up too much. Um, like, there, it, there are going to be lineups where those three share the floor. It's going to happen, especially, again, like, defensive possession, blatant games, but... Mm-hmm. I really just don't know if that's the offensive group that's going to beat, you know, a Milwaukee or a Brooklyn. Yeah. It's just going to be too, too much non-shooting. Hey, I got a quick, I got a quick hot take. It just, it just hit me. Do you know who becomes a free agent in 2022 from the Golden State Warriors? Uh, uh, Steph. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you know who also has a big contract under Under Armour, other than Steph Curry? Uh, Seth Curry. No, Joel. Yeah, and 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 just so happens that his brother plays for the Sixers. Could you imagine if Steph Curry signed with the Sixers and played alongside Joel Embiid? How crazy would that be? I'm putting it out there. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. No, I I mean that'd be. I I mean we don't know what 36 year old or whatever Steph is going to look like, but. I'd basically pencil in the Sixers that come out of the East at that point. Oh my goodness! But I could not imagine. Look, they're friendly. If you saw them on the court tonight, they were pretty playful out there together. Yeah. And no, I mean, I, yeah, Under Armour guys got to stick together. They don't have much. That's right, man. That's so, right. They're definitely friendly. Um, yeah, I mean, that'd be pretty much the perfect ideal on paper 
co-star for Joel. I mean, I don't think you could get any better than Steph. Um, yeah. Like the dribble handoffs and stuff would just work every time. Oh, It'd be unstoppable. It's, but. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a dream. It would be a dream come true. Yeah. And I'll tell you what would be a dream come true. This next guy we're about to talk about, if he were to just get, oh man, like we've said it before in the past, Chris, we've had a Matisse Thibel game. We've had a Maxi game. We've had a Curry game, Seth Curry. We haven't had a Mike Scott game yet. And it could be because he's just not that good anymore. No offense to Scott. But um, my question out there to you, Chris, is should Mike Scott's minutes be given to another player since he's been struggling pretty much all season? And and also, why is why is Doc sticking with him? I mean, he's he's only averaging 4.3 points a game, and he's shooting 33% from three-point land. Chris, help me out here. I don't understand. Um, well, I mean, I think why is because Doc is a bit stubborn and he likes to do those second unit groups and they don't really have a lot of size at the four spot outside of Scott. So if you're going to play five bench guys and you really want a traditional power forward, Mike is basically your only option. But as we saw tonight, you can survive with pretty much four guards in Joel or four guards in Dwight. Like that's normally going to be a pretty good group. So you don't need Mike Scott. There's really no no solid argument beyond just he's coached Mike before and he's a veteran. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like Isaiah Joe and Tyrese Maxey are the two guys who have been essentially cut because first in favor of Scott and those guys are rookies. We've talked about it in the past on this pod about Doc not being a big fan of playing rookies. Like Isaiah Joe was a much better player than Mike Scott. So is oh. Tyrese Maxey. It's not yeah. even close. Like the shooting is tremendously much more better. Yeah. Like Tyrese has some tough games. Isaiah's been pretty steady when he's been on the floor. Tyrese has some tough games, but like Mike has had all tough games. Mike Mike has consistently difficult games to watch. He he's not doing much of anything out there. He's never been a good defender. He's not hitting threes at a consistent rate. He will take threes, and there is some value in a guy who will just chuck up an open three as soon as he catches it, like we've talked about Seth being too hesitant. Mike's not hesitant, and that's, you know, a check mark in his favor, but he just hasn't been good. And there's more upside in both Joe and Maxie. Now that Hill's here again, hopefully we're done with Scott. I think he'll... Probably bumps Mike out of the rotation, especially with how yeah. Furkan's been playing lately. But of course, yeah, like like it gets cut out of the group. Yeah, Doc. I think you know you nailed it on the head with the whole he played under Doc. I think there's this veteran loyalty that maybe Doc Rivers is latching onto when it comes to Mike Scott. Hell, man, I'd even put B-ball Paul out there. He he can get up, he can block shots. He's probably better in the interior. The one thing that stood out there was one game where the Sixers were. In the second half, they were struggling, and it might, I don't think it was the Clippers game. It might have been the game before that. But Mike Scott's shot was not falling. So what did they do? They posted him, and he scored on two consecutive turnaround jump shots. It's just like you said. George Hill's going to get his minutes. He's definitely not going to be in this team next year. But, yeah, the loyalty is ugh, it's driving me nuts. We can do a lot better with, with his minutes. Yeah. Like, I don't know if there's a single player on the roster who shouldn't be playing over Mike Scott. <laughs> like, honestly, Mason Jones and Rajon Tucker, like, how much worse could it get? Yeah. Frankly? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. But Scott has given them nothing. It, it's been a complete zero all season. Yeah. I, mean, I really don't. 
And that might be overstating it a little bit. Like he should probably play over Mason Jones, but mm-hmm. I don't think I'm overstating it by much. So yeah. that's that's where we're at with Mike. But we're gonna move on now and talk about some recent interview comments. We'll start with Joel Embiid's interview with ESPN Zach Lowe. Uriah, he said, quote, I know how much he cares about it, it being the defensive player of the year award. And I really hope he does win it. He should win it. How do we feel about Embiid? showing support for Ben in that way. I'm impressed with Joel because, quite honestly, he wants to win the same award. Not to say that he would come out and deny and say, I don't think he deserves it, but he could sit on his hands and say, oh, yeah, he's, you know, Ben's having a nice year, and then let it settle from there. But no, he it sounds like he's lobbying for Ben to get that award. So that maturity comes into play. And I think Joel is mature enough to recognize that Ben has a he has a zeal for the dirty work. Sorry for my train. And I guess it's getting back at us for your cat in the last podcast. <laughs> so yeah, so I I think because he recognizes that Ben is willing to take on the toughest assignments guarding the opposition's most talented, probably most unguardable player. I think he respects that for Ben and it, and it, it helps him out in a, in a certain way, as much as he helps Ben out being an interior defender. I think Ben does the same for him and yeah, it, it's just good to see, to, to see him as a teammate really come out publicly and say, Hey, Ben deserves defensive player of the year. Yeah, I agree. I think we've seen pretty noticeable improvement in the Joel Ben relationship this season. I don't think it's ever been, Quite the problem that some media people made it out to be, but they've they've clearly grown chemistry wise this season, and stuff like this obviously just is good PR if nothing else. Um, I mean, Joel definitely wants to win Defensive Player of the Year at some point. He's talked about it many times in the past, even this season. Like, he, it's an award that he would like to win. I'm sure he's very motivated to to win it at some point. So him going out of his way to to support. Ben's candidacy certainly means something. I mean, Joel's probably a top five candidate for the award this season, even with Ben doing what he's doing. You know, Philadelphia probably has the most intimidating defense in the league, and Joel is really still at the center of it. So he he definitely has a case, and he could make that case if he wanted to. But I, I think we're at a point where Joel would be happy with MVP, and he'd be happy with Ben getting Defensive Player of the Year award. We'll, we'll see if that happens. It's looking a bit iffy at this point, but... Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely good to hear. Just to flip that coin on its head, Ben had an interview recently with GQ, and he said in regards to Joel's MVP candidacy that I think he is clearly the MVP this season. How do we feel about Simmons showing such support for Joel? That's obviously not quite the same because Ben's not really in the MVP race where you could argue that Joel is in the Defensive Player of the Year race, but Mm -hmm. how do we feel about them supporting each other? Again, it's maturity, and I think Ben is is starting to really recognize that Joel is and has always been the team's leader. When when Brett Brown was here, it was kind of you know one A one B. They're co team leaders. No, Joel's the alpha. He is the man, and I think um, Ben showing that respect and deferring to to his teammate shows maturity. And I think he recognizes that their successful coexistence will determine their collective fate. And if you're an Orlando Magic fan and you're listening, I'm sure 
back in the in the in the early nineties, you're probably a little envious because this is probably the type of relationship and support that you would have wanted. And I was a huge Orlando Magic fan um, outside the Sixers, obviously. And I was back then. I was like, man, Shaq and Penny, they're going to be a problem for years to come. But it didn't work out. Well, guess what? Joel and Ben are are figuring it out. And I think Doc Rivers has come along at at a point in their careers where he can help them become not perfect teammates, but perfect teammates in the sense that they can play with each other. And he has the system. He has the cachet to convince them that they are a championship caliber team. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I mean, if there ever was a problem with Joel and Ben in the locker room, I think it definitely had to do with some uncertainty over whose team it was and who was really the lead voice. I I mean, I think part of it is just that Joel has taken such a leap that there's really no argument from Ben's side that it's his team at this point. I think that there's a pretty clear break now, and that that might have, I don't want to say put Ben in his place, because again, I don't think it's really been a problem, but I, I do think that's something that has happened. I think Doc and his leadership style is definitely different than Brett Brown's. I'm sure that has been a benefit. And as you mentioned, it's just maturity. It's these two guys growing together. I think they realize at this point that they're stuck together, whether they like it or not, for at least three or four more years. So, and we were talking about Ben. He also almost got traded this season, which might have been a wake-up call of some sort. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I I mean, it's always great to see teammates supporting each other, to see them you know, just, just gassing each other up to the media. That's always fun. So nothing but positive takeaways for me. And Uriah, just thinking back a few years to the first time that we saw these two on the floor together, did you ever think we would have an MVP and a defensive player of the year candidate in these two? Did you ever think that was the level they would they would reach together? To be honest, Chris, I I didn't know what to expect between Joel's poor health history and Ben Simmons having this, I don't know, this haughty, like this haughty attitude. And I didn't know what to expect. And the fact that he, his first year, he refused to shoot jump shots and he's still not shooting jumpers. But anyway, I honestly, I just didn't know what to expect. I did feel that Embiid had a higher ceiling. If anybody were to be a MVP candidate, I did feel like he had that potential but, but, you know, it's funny. I thought that Embiid would be a defensive player of the year candidate first. I, I did, just because he's such a monster in the middle. Um, I think over the years, he's tempered his defensive contests of shots. I think he's trying to preserve his body, and he doesn't have to try and block every shot. Just his presence alone is intimidating to an uh, opponent. I think he's just more cerebral now. Ben, I, I could I can't imagine him being an MVP unless he starts shooting. I don't know. What'd you think? Did you think we had those on our hands? I mean, like you said, it was pretty hard to tell at that point. Ben missed a year too because of his foot injury. Joel played 31 games his first season, had the two years off from his own injury before that. So it was, it was pretty tough to predict the future with those two. I mean, Ben was the number one pick. He was really bad on the defensive end at LSU though. I mean, I think we all knew he had the tools. I had actually written about it in my early days at the site about Ben's defensive potential and all the the upside he had. But I I don't know if anyone really could have expected defensive player of the year from him. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I mean, 
it was fair to say, hey, he'll probably be a, a good defender or better than he was at LSU. But to say, hey, he's going to be maybe the best perimeter defender of his generation might have been a bit of a stretch at that time. So I definitely think that's probably been the more surprising jump. I mean, as soon as Joel stepped on the floor, I think we all knew he had a pretty high ceiling. Like, he was pretty electric from the go. Like, MVP is a high bar to reach, and he may never reach it again. We don't know. The future is unpredictable. But, I mean, I, I think we knew Joel was special as soon as we saw him play. Even with the injury that season, only playing 31 games. Like, Joel was basically an all-star caliber player from the moment he stepped foot on the floor. Mm-hmm. I think we knew he was the guy. Even if Ben didn't, we knew he was the guy pretty much from the get, even with Ben being the number one pick. But, yeah, I don't know if anyone could have really said, like, hey, they're going to be in the MVP and Defensive Player of the Year conversation in the mm-hmm. same season together. I, I agree. I have a question that was not on the agenda. I'm curious to know what you think. So we know that there was a team, Team Doc Rivers, and there was a team, Ty Lu for a potential coach for the Sixers before the season started. Do you think the Sixers – could have had the same success or better under Ty Lue? Um, I mean, yeah, I think so. I don't, really? I don't think, I don't think Doc really? is a perfect uh, coach. I mean, we're talking about Mike Scott still getting like five minutes a night. We're talking about all groups getting five minutes to start the second quarter every night. I don't know. I, I, I completely disagree, I think, but keep no, going. I, I will say this. Doc has obviously been a pretty clear upgrade from Brett. He has unlocked Joel and Tobias in a way that Brett never could. But that said, I do think Ty Lue is a fairly adventurous and innovative coach. He would have tried Joel and Tobias in different spots as well. I think Mike D'Antoni would have been really fun to just let Joel cook in the middle of a bunch of shooters. <laughs> I, I was on the D'Antoni train then. You were. I remember you were on that train. Like I, 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 I'm not confident that Doc was the absolute best choice they could have made, but he's probably going to win Coach of the Year. Like It feels like he should. Um, he's not a perfect coach. We'll no, see Monty, Monty Williams is getting it out in yeah, Phoenix. Like, like he's Monty he's sure. Yeah, and even Nate McMillan might have yeah. some pretty solid cases, but uh, we'll see how the playoffs. I mean, once the playoffs settle, the dust settles from whatever happens, then that's when we can really start to discuss whether Doc yeah. is the right choice. Like, if we get beat by Boston in the first round, then we'll probably oh. have a different tone than we have right now. But All right. I mean, well, <laughs> can't go wrong with Doc. Yeah, yeah. Y- you can talk now. I-, I just think Doc, just one word distinguishes him from from Ty and that would be accountability. I cannot imagine Ty Lue bringing accountability well, to this I, locker room I mean, the way Doc I mean, has. Well, well, we have like Ty Lue, his whole thing in Cleveland was that he could like level with LeBron and be serious with LeBron and hold him accountable. Oh that my God. Kind of his big strength in Cleveland. And he, Man, don't get me started. LeBron got Blatt fired and that ticked me off because he did a hell of a job, and he brought in Ty Lue, someone that he could control. Look, LeBron coached that team in the finals. I don't care what anybody says. Ty Lue is overrated, and he will always be remembered by Philadelphia as being stepped over by Allen Iverson. <laughs> so let's step over this part of the podcast and move on. So, Chris, you mentioned the playoffs, and you mentioned Boston. And I hate Boston, just in case everybody needs to know that. Um but if we're looking at the playoffs and Philly's a lock, I uh, just hope we stick with the number one spot and have home court advantage. 
But in your opinion, Chris, let's get some thoughts about the worst and best opponents in terms of matchups for Philly in the first round. Who would you rather not play first? The Celtics or the Heat? Well, I mean, if you asked me this like a week ago, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I would have had a different answer. But mm-hmm. Boston has won eight of nine until tonight. I think they lost to Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't see the final score. But Boston's kind of trending up at this point. Miami's sliding a bit. That may flip again in the next month or so. We still got some basketball left to play. But I think Boston has a pretty clear psychological edge on Philadelphia. Like, <laughs> Sixers are clearly the best team. Yeah. I would pick Philly in that series without hesitation. But Boston has some like mental real estate that I think is worth noting. Yeah. Um, they, If they are the hotter team once the playoffs come around, Tatum and Jalen Brown are really killer duo and in the playoffs Mm -hmm. having two elite creators on the wing is a very valuable weapon Kimba has shredded the Sixers in the past you got Marcus Smart who does Marcus Smart things Fournier is going to help once he's healthy I forgot about that guy (laughs) I I think I'd pick Miami over Boston if I had to ideally you avoid both of them and like New York gets the four seed or something but I, I do think Boston's probably looking a little bit scarier at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, for different reasons, I think Miami, I wouldn't want to place them. I wouldn't want to play Miami first because I'm actually a yeah. semi. We're going to talk about mental real estate. Jimmy's got some too. So I'm oh, not yeah. saying I'd be yeah. thrilled about Miami either. Well, I, I would, I just, I like Miami to be honest with you. I rooted for them against the, the Lakers in the finals. And I, I actually wore my Jimmy Butler Sixers Jersey to the game last week against Brooklyn but in all seriousness, I think, like you said, the real estate in the head of Philadelphia fans and players, particularly Ben and Joe, because they've lost twice to Boston in the past three years, they are hot. And Jalen Brown is playing out of his mind. Jason Tatum is also playing out of his mind. You add to that mix, like you said, uh, Marcus Smart. And of course, you have Fournier, who's going to do nothing but help them offensively. The only thing that we had the advantage of is honestly, obviously, Joel Embiid. They have nobody that can stop Embiid. But unless we have a healthy roster, like I hope this knee thing with Tobias is not that serious. But I, I don't want to see Boston, not even a little bit. I, I, I'm not even going to watch their games in the playoffs because I just can't stand Boston. So, so those are the teams that we would rather avoid in the first round. Let's talk about some teams that we would be okay with playing in the first round. So we have three, uh, four choices, Chris. Who would you rather play first? The Knicks, the Hornets, the Hawks, or the Pacers? Do you want to like rank them by most favorable to least favorable? Nah, just just throw out there. Who who would you be okay with playing in the fir- in the first round? Yeah, I mean, if I had to pick one of those teams, it'd probably be Charlotte, just because they lack in the experience department. Lamelo and Hayward will both probably be back by that point, so they they will certainly have some potency on offense. But New York is just a pain in the butt to play. They're maybe an even better defense than Philadelphia. Like their mm-hmm. offense isn't going to do much at all against Philly's defense, but that would be a grinded out physical series. I, I don't particularly like overly physical things with Joel. So mm-hmm. I prefer to just not play the Knicks if we can avoid it. 
That's not to say the Knicks would be much of a problem. That'd probably be like a four or five game series, but it'd be a really physical four or five game series. So I, yeah. I think Charlotte's the pick. Indiana still has some very talented players, though they have underperformed all year. Atlanta's riding a pretty big hot streak ever since they fired Lloyd Pierce. Um, they got some shooters and some a really deep bench and some guys who would probably match up pretty well with Philly. So I, I'd just say Charlotte is my pick there. Yeah, I would say Charlotte just so that we don't have to see Embiid get posterized by Miles Bridges. But <laughs> I agree, they they have a young team and they're, they're probably not going anywhere. They probably even get swept, whoever they play. I'm going to say Indiana. I'm not impressed by Indiana. I think out of all the teams, we would handle them just fine because Joel always seems to put Miles Turner in his place. Quote unquote, defensive player of the year candidate, whatever. I know your boy Sabonis, he's, he gives the Sixers a problem. Uh, TJ, is he's a flea. Just flick him off with your your, your little middle finger. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I mean, with Oladipo gone, they don't have anybody that the Sixers would be worried about. So I, I wouldn't mind going up against Indiana. Well, Atlanta. I mean, is, is Karis LeVert not – has he not been better than Oladipo this year? Well, he he almost died from a liver condition. I, don't, I haven't been and paying attention been to Karis LeVert. He's been better? Okay. They gave him an iron lung. All right. He's he's Iron Man. All right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's Charlotte and Indiana, and then Atlanta's probably the last team I would pick from this list. So I I think Charlotte, Indy, New York, Atlanta would be my rankings if I did have to rank them, like from who I'd want to play to who I wouldn't want to play. But, yeah. Atlanta scares me. I think Clint Capella leading the league in rebounds. He's just a solid center who Mm -hmm. could probably – give Joel a run for his money and Trey Young, that dude is he's very underrated in my opinion. Defensively he sucks, but yeah. but in terms of unstoppable because he can shoot, drive, and pass, that dude is nasty. And he always gives us a tough time. So yeah. but I'm gonna stick with Indiana. To round out the podcast tonight, we're gonna go to our social media question of the week. And I'm gonna go to Twitter first. And if you didn't get a chance to check it out, there's a nice collage of photographs that show our MVP candidate, which is Joel Embiid. And we wanted to know from all the fans on Twitter and Facebook, tell us exactly why Joel should be MVP. Let's go to Twitter first. So Brent Graham, at Ben Graham BG7. All right, Brent. So Brent said, just ask the three players that attempt to guard him every time he touches the ball. They will tell you. So he got the most likes on Twitter with that response. If we go to Facebook, I'll just read the thread here. So we had Brendan or Brandon, sorry. He said, because this year he's the most unguardable offensive player in the league. He's top five most effective defensive player in the league. His efforts have his team in first place in their conference. Quincy said he actually wants it this year. In years past, he had trouble with guys like Horford or Gasol, which was frustrating to watch. This year, barbecue chicken, and he put Shaq voice. And the last one, Kane said the best player in the league on both ends of the floor, literally above all this year. So in your opinion, Chris, what is, well, we know who you think. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I even ask you? Um, All right. All right. Let's just, I'm not wishing harm on anybody, but let's say Jokic goes down tomorrow night. If Ben were, or if Joel were to win, why do you think he deserves to win? Um, <laughs> oh, well, <my> God. <laughs> um, it's not that hard, Joel, right? 
I mean, obviously, for all the reasons they said, Joel has been off the chains this year. Um, one of the most physically dominant scores we've seen in recent history um, has fixed a lot of his flaws to much better at handling double teams and reading pressure and making the right pass. I think that was always going to be his next step. And he has, he has taken it this season. Like, like it's not turnovers are still a problem every now and then, but he has gotten so much better in that respect. His three point shot is falling at a roughly 40% clip. He, he's just scoring all over the floor. We talked about Doc Rivers a little bit. Doc not just using him as a post-up center, which is pretty much how Brett did, letting him work from the middle of the floor, letting him get into those, you know, mid-range jumpers, letting him play make from the elbow and whatnot. I think that's been pretty big in helping Joel take the next step. And just the fact that he's one of the three or four best defenders on the planet. Like, I think that's a pretty underrated part of this discussion. Um, We heard... Rachel Nichols say as much on the jump a few days ago. Like again, Jokic is my pick right now, but Joel has a case because he's a, a special player. So Still, I, I agree with what everyone said. Stealing my thunder with the Rachel Nichols grab right there. Yeah, she she got really passionate and she was on the jump, I think, with Ramona Shelburne and I forget who else. Um, but she nailed it. There's two sides of the basketball. And the one thing that we're seeing this year, probably more than any year in the past, is this um, just amazing leap of offensive. uh, There's a burst of offensive standout players. I mean, you have so many players averaging over 28 points a game. It's, It's ridiculous. So it kind of shows you how maybe inflated the whole idea of offensive efficiency and scoring in the league when quote unquote NBA doesn't play defense. So if you look at Joel, he is one of the top three scorers and he's one of the top defenders in the league. So you consider that when you got Jokic who barely plays defense and some, some people would argue, well, he's actually not that bad. No, he's nothing in comparison to Embiid. And he's not that. Come on, man. (laughs) He's, no, he's not, he's come not on, man. Embiid at all. He's nowhere near Embiid, but he's not a, he's not a bad listen, defender. Listen, CP3, Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, those three players, if they have a choice between driving the lane against Jokic and Embiid, who do you think they'd rather drive against? Embiid. Uh, mic yeah, drop. Sorry. Mic drop. Mic drop. There we go. End of podcast right there, ladies and gentlemen, right there. <laughs> No, I, I, I get, look, Jokic is a phenomenal player. I like Jokic, but Embiid, and I'm not, I'm not even being a homer right now. He is legitimately the best two-way player on the planet. I can't think of another player who is as effective on offense as he is on defense. And in terms of meaningfulness to his team, Embiid is just that dude. Jokic is not. It's just that simple. I agree. I mean, I think Jokic is just as meaningful to his team. But on offense, on offense, I will give you that on offense. I mean, I think Kawhi could be in that discussion, but not this year, quite the individual season that Embiid is. Um, right. I mean, we want to talk about Jokic. He's averaging 26, 11, and 9 on 57 from the field, 43 for 43, 86 stripe. He's top five in the league in steals, like, he's not. Not doing nothing on defense. So 
I'm mean, sorry, Jokic, did you say something, Chris? Did, Jokic has had just as impressive an individual season as Embiid. I, my audio's I my audio's not working right now. I think it's time. Post, <laughs> we posted an article from <laughs> the Step Back on Twitter today. Right. And the basic premise of it was that we shouldn't let this MVP conversation cloud how great of a season these two guys are having. Like, we should just kind of just sit back and appreciate what's happening. I tend to agree. I, I really couldn't care less if they gave it to Jokic, Jokic or Embiid. Like, I'd be happy either way. I think either one of them would deserve it. They're both having remarkable seasons. They're both remarkable top 10, maybe even top five, depending how on how you look at it. NBA players. So there's no wrong answer. I think Embiid is a perfectly reasonable choice. He obviously has a case as as both of us have made here. So you, you can't go wrong. Jokic does do something really, really, really well compared to Joel. And that is playing in higher elevation altitude that really gives him an advantage. But I'm just going to leave that on the table for now. Forget I even said that. Well, I mean, He's averaging nine assists a game. He did lose a lot of weight, Chris. Not, he lost Joe's a lot of good. weight. I give it to him. He got in really good shape. So good for you, Joker. Yeah, I mean, they're <laughs> both great. That 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 just is what it is. But we'll we'll go ahead and wrap it up now. Um, to all our listeners, thanks as always for tuning in to another episode of the Sixer Sense podcast. We have some very exciting guests coming up in the near future. We're a month away from playoff basketball. We hope you'll stick with us for that. If you're on Spotify, Omni, iTunes, wherever, leave us a five-star review. Drop a comment. Give us a rating, whatever you need to do to help us out. It would really, really be appreciated on our end. And just keep tuning in. We'll be back later this week with some more, more Sixers content. So we'll talk to you all then. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.